As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Put on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Taylor Payne and coming up on this week's show... I've gone to Yorkshire. I could do that. Is that meant to be an impression of me? I could do that easily. Craig, crack on. You let me sit here and insult Chris and you do that. That sounds like fun. (laughs) Saucer of milk for table four. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Two more points well and truly down the drain. Tons up, 100 days post-takeover. And Ellen Road awaits. Reinforcements on the way. Yes, hello, I'm Taylor Payne. This is Pod on the Tyne, and we're podding through the pain with Newcastle United correspondent Chris Woff uh, and the Athletics senior writer, Mr. George Culkin. How are we doing, chaps? George, how are you? You okay? Yes, I'm okay. Getting there. Thank you, Taylor. How are you? I'm not bad, mate. I'm not bad. Chris, how's tricks? Is everything okay? Oh, absolutely tickety-boo, yeah, after the weekend. (laughs) Still hasn't seen Newcastle win a game this season, Chris. I'm detecting like a hint of, well, no, it's not even a hint, is it? It's like a massive amount of like dread in everyone's voices today. We were saying this just before we came on air. Is there any chance we can talk about anything apart from football? So I've just uh, uh, mastered a, a really nice recipe for roast uh, beef uh, ragu uh, with uh, short rib beef. Really nice. Yeah, good. Going to have that with some pasta. What time do you want us around? Yeah, um, I don't want you around, Chris. Never. <laughs> Yeah, let's not pretend we're friends. Let's not pretend this is Morecambe and Wise and we all live together. (laughs) Yeah, me, George and Chris all sit in bed on a night. Yeah, I've just had a mince pie and I'm wondering, 
I'm wondering when mince pies become sort of dangerous. A Christmassy mince pie. Well, surely the internal workings of a mince pie, workings, that's not the right word, and surely the the internalness of a mince pie is doused in alcohol. So that's not going off anytime soon, is it? No, no. But the pastry... The pastry, on the other hand, yeah. If I disappear for a moment in the next uh, 45 minutes or no, you'll know why that is. Around about 40 minutes into this podcast, George is going to get screaming heartburn and have to leave. That's what that's going to be. Anyway, uh, yes, uh, you dear listeners, you can subscribe to The Athletic now with a 33% discount at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. And you get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast. So make your way to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and sign up now for a third off subscription. Right, chaps. Unfortunately, we are going to have to talk football. And I want to know just how many times can a team somersault face first into the dirt at the finish line before you can start calling them a lost cause. Uh, Newcastle United's canny knack of imploding from a winning position is starting to look endemic. And before we do the post-mortem, let's hear from the manager. Our performance up until our goal, I thought was very good. And then I thought as soon as we scored, um, we went into... Uh, a different way of playing. I thought our press dropped, but we became deeper on the pitch and we invited pressure. Not that I think Watford created too much from that pressure. I think most of their opportunities came from our individual mistakes. But still, I felt that we brought them into the game and I think the goal sort of typified that where we made a couple of errors and at this level, that that detail matters and we've ultimately conceded and it's cost us the match. I look at some of the games we've drawn and you go back to... Even Norwich with 10 men, I thought we should have won um, the game today. Uh, and I think the other games that we've ended up drawing, you think in different moments, you know, looking for the second goal in games, we seem content with one and that's never never enough. And we need to keep our attacking intent all through the game. You know, maybe last five minutes, I understand it's slightly different, but yeah, so disappointing, lots to improve. We know it's damaging today because it was a great opportunity for us to beat a direct rival. And when you're 1-0 up with a couple of minutes to go, it's an even better opportunity. So we know that will will damage our... We've damaged ourselves to a point. Um, But you always have an opportunity at this moment in time. We're into the second half of the season now to to bounce back from it. There was a lot to like about our performance up until we scored. I thought I was really pleased with a lot of what we saw. Without really creating an abundance of chance, I think we had moments. Obviously, Joe's hit the bar and he's had another really good chance. So we didn't really cut them open like I would have like I would have hoped to do. But as I say, the, the biggest uh, area of development from today's game, I think, is once we'd scored. There we go, Chris. What do we think of that? It's just not it's not coming together quite yet, is it? It's not. It was. I thought it was interesting how, after the game, because he sort of raised an issue which Steve Bruce had regularly talked about, mainly privately, but had spoken, so even hit, he'd hinted at it publicly. But... Basically, House, he said he said at 1-0, it's not the time to go into our shells. That's the time to go and make it 2-0. And then he talked about the player's mentality, maybe not thinking the same way. So he's basically getting across that the message that he is giving, that the way that he wants them to play. And you could see this on the touchline. He was trying to encourage the players forward. He was trying to tell them to push higher at the pitch. But instead, what they there seems to be their default position when they're leading. And this is partly, he, addressed, he, he talked about that it's partly due with confidence, and I'm sure that it is, but also... The, the, the way that Newcastle tried to protect that lead is just to basically sit deeper and deeper and deeper, uh, stop 
passing the ball, just give it back to the opposition, essentially, which they're very good at doing, to be fair on them. Yeah. And then eventually, and they almost inevitably concede. And, and from the 49th minute onwards, basically the moment Alan Samaxman scored onwards, Newcastle barely looked like creating a chance. That's how negative they became in that mindset. It was just interesting that how sort of referenced that. And he, he, he sounded a bit frustrated and perturbed at the players that they basically say that 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 saying this isn't this isn't what I wanted, this is what they are doing. And Steve Bruce had been similar previously, so it seems to be that he was almost questioning uh, the mindset of the players in in that in that circumstance and what the, he feels they're conditioned to do. George Watford now joined Norwich, Southampton and Man United uh on on a, a list of opponents that have benefited from our profligacy. It's becoming a bit of a bad habit this one, isn't it, throwing away leading positions? Well, yeah, we're terrible in defence, and um, you know, sadly, that's not been that's not really been addressed yet. Kieran Trippier aside, and um, there was still that you know, there's still that preponderance of giving the ball away, bad decision making um, in Newcastle's own half, and no, it just, I mean, incredibly, incredibly disappointing. It was, it was on Saturday, and you know, the position. The position just gets worse and worse. Except, except of course that you know they're still in this strange, strange position where you know they're not they're not adrift by you know they should be you know they should be, um, but you know at some point at some point they have to they have to make a move and it's not happening. Chris, they're playing with such caution at the minute. Um, you know, as soon as that goal goes in, like you say, we we didn't threaten uh, again after that. But I also feel, I haven't watched that 90 minutes, that it looks like they're playing with fear. And that is so dangerous for a team in our position. But that's also entirely understandable because they aren't winning it. They've won one game all season. They're not used to to winning matches. And it, and Howe also spoke after the game about how he's been involved with teams where somehow you're going through a winning room where you just will, you'll find a way to get over the line. But equally, there's, there's the opposite. And when a team is struggling... You, you do question everything. You could see that in the second half. Everything. I mean, I didn't think they were particularly quick at, at recycling the possession. To be fair, during the first half, and that was probably one of the criticisms you kind of had against Cambridge as well. They weren't. They weren't moving it around quickly enough. They weren't switching play quickly enough. But second half in particular it was so ponderous, and 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 also players did look like they were second guessing what they were going to do on each occasion. I mean, it's twenty three drop points dropped now when when leading or drawn across eleven matches. 21 of those have been for winning positions, 16 at home. And under Eddie Howe, they've been leading against Brentford, leading against Norwich, leading against Liverpool, leading against Man United, leading against, leading against Watford and leading against Burnley. And they've only won one of those games. So that is that has been the issue. And 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 it's it's hard to know how Newcastle get beyond that. I mean, I asked, I asked, actually asked how is this psychological? And he basically admitted that it was, and said that it's something that that basically only wins itself will resolve, and that he hoped after they beat Burnley that that would sort of help resolve it. But, but it hasn't yet. And I mean, more than half the goals have conceded are in the final twenty minutes of games. I think it's eleven in the last fifteen minutes. That they've only scored twice during the, the, that time all season, and that just shows that that the longer the game goes on, the more Newcastle retreat and the, and the more nervous they get. And until they can get beyond that, because they don't score enough either. I mean, they've only they, they, they haven't even not even scored one goal a game. They're averaging less than that, and so but they're in this position where they don't keep clean sheets either. So unless they score twice, the likelihood is they're not going to win, and and that is just why they're in such a difficult position now. Just on that point, I, I thought if if we take this game in isolation, I thought this was the first time that the whole place felt really tense all the way through. I mean, 
I know that there have been games in which there's been tension and obviously Brentford, which was end to end and it was sort of, you know, lots of goals, who's going to win, blah, blah, blah. I just felt, I felt that, felt to me, I was in the Leeser's end. It felt to me that Watford was tense from the start, that the whole stadium was tense this time because the game was so important and the team, the team looked tense. And I mean, Chris uses that, uses that word ponderous. I thought they were ponderous in the first half, you know, which was probably their, you know, which was their better half. I just thought they looked so slow to move the ball forward and it gave time to what you know gave time for Watford to get back and then Watford looked dangerous looked dangerous sort of on the on the break I felt it was a tense occasion all the way through and that you know um, anyway that was just one of my observations Chris Allen some maximum scored the goal obviously but he had a he had a pretty average first half and then came on and scored uh, after half time and suddenly lifted the place he's a an absolute conundrum of a footballer, isn't he? I don't know what I don't know what he does, what he is yet, what his uh, what his approach is towards the game. It seems to be get the ball. What was your tweet? And try and run with it. What was your tweet? What was your tweet? He's like he's um he's like a man caught between two bus stops, and there's a bus on its way. He, I love that. That's what it is. You also accuse him of fart housing around, and then he scored an absolutely wondrous goal about two minutes later, which I very much enjoyed pointing out. Except the laugh. Absolutely. I, I know. I know what you're going to say. The laugh was on me because I think he had a really. I think he had a poor game. I mean, I think he had a poor game. But at the same time, you cannot leave him out because he's the only player on the pitch that can do that for Newcastle, and so. And it was a brilliant goal. It was an absolutely brilliant goal. But the amount it of was. times he gave the ball away, you know, I, th- I thought, yeah. And he was he was a liability in other areas of the pitch. And it's, yeah, but uh, but nobody else can do that. So thank God he was there. But um, yeah, I, I I enjoyed sort of gently mocking you. But I think I think probably you. No, I appreciate mocking. the mocking. <laughs> good. I completely deserved it. It was good. But no, it was the the thing was in that first half. He was so so frustrating. That he was getting the ball and and instead of making the pass that would enhance the move or move the team up the yeah. pitch, he felt like it was his job to do that himself with the ball at his feet. So he would try and run past a couple of players. Even if he's not in the position to do it, there was a point where he gave the ball away inside his own half and he was the he was the only man back ahead of the defence. And it, it led to a counter-attack. Now I, I like him doing it. I like it when he gets his when he gets his shoulders down and he starts running at players. But he can't do it there. He can't do it inside our half when he's the last man before the defence. He has to start switching on a little bit, and he's got to, he's got to be a, bit, a little bit more intelligent with this, you know. So that I think that should take us on to to, to Chris Wood. I mean, that thing that the point you make about those options was something that Alan Shearer pointed out on Match of the Day as well. Um, you know, the just the lack of options when Newcastle got on the got on the ball. So I mean, I know that Wood took a bit of criticism for his debut, but there was so 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 much of that time he looked. He looked isolated. He wasn't getting the ball. What did you What did you think of him, Chris? You were closer to the pitch than I was. Yeah, I mean, it was that that sort of get. Well, Alan Sam Maximan is like the worst sort of winger for someone like Chris Wood in that sense, in terms of the <laughs> yeah, way that he absolutely. naturally wants to play because he does. He doesn't. He, you can see Wood is he's asking for the ball, and there was a little bit where he was asking for it down the lines, but the ball just wasn't coming to him quickly enough, and. I don't think that that system really helped Chris Wood either. I think if it had been a four four two or a four four one one with Sam Maxman off him, and then actual wingers, that might have suited him a little bit more. And I was a little bit surprised that that Howe stuck with the midfield three because I thought they struggled against uh, Cambridge last week playing that way, and I think they're going to struggle against teams who are going to let them have a bit of the ball because there isn't enough creativity there. And for all of 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 Joe Linton's work ethic, work ethic, and the amount of times he won the ball. He doesn't. He, he he doesn't bring anything in a defensive sense either, which which I still find incredible for someone that signed for forty million pound for for 
in, in an attacking way. But at least they're, they're getting something out of him. But just that midfield didn't produce anything to, to help the front line. And then when you haven't got Sat Maximan crossing in, and I didn't think Trippier's delivery was as good as it can be. I don't think it was as effective as it could be. Wood was, was, was playing off scraps. I don't think he imposed himself enough onto the game. I don't think it was like he was really dominating when he did get it. He, I think it was only three aerial duels that he won and he he wasn't getting himself into the game enough but equally he didn't it, it's not like he that Newcastle were bombarding the box with really good crosses and Chris Wood wasn't getting on the end of them he he, he didn't receive any of that service the, the the couple of rare occasions he got it he had one where he was he was coming away from goal and he managed to to flick a header over the bar but that was about it so i did feel for him but i mean that's 25 million pounds Newcastle have sent, spent on a striker essentially to make an impact against Watford. It didn't happen then. He goes back to Leeds this weekend. They, they desperately need to get more out of him and find a way to extract more from him because that, that's that's the reason why they've paid £25 million for him yeah. in the short term. We have to also acknowledge he's only had a couple of training sessions with, with his new teammates by that point as well. It's asking a lot of him to suddenly fit into a team and, um, and um, you know, particularly with the team which I'm afraid it's sad to say is not a good team at the moment. It's, you know, not. it's difficult to expect him to uh, to perform miracles because he's only ever going to be as good as as the, as the balls that come into him. And uh, no, as Chris said, he just didn't get that. It's interesting, Chris, you using that, that ponderous word earlier on, and, and George, you've used it as well. A lot of that, I think, comes from come from that midfield three in that they're, they're so slow to, to move the ball forward. I know John Joe Shelby likes to play the ball forward and he likes to look for passes, but when the ball goes into that midfield, the, the entire pace of the attacks of the game just slows right down. Um, and, and, and to me, Longstaff... And Shelby and Joel Linton, I know he's he's playing in a different role now, and he's kind of playing as like a spoiler breaking up play. But the t- the the three of them are too similar, uh, and there's not enough dynamism in there. There's just nobody who who is able to to provide a spark who might go past a couple of players, and suddenly the pitch opens up in front of them. Shelby's always looking for the ball to pass diagonal into the channels. Uh, Longstaff, I'm not sure what's going on with that kid. I don't know if his head's a bit a bit all over the place. Um, but he doesn't look anything like the player who who was playing under Rafa Benitez. Uh, and Joe Linton's bless him, just doing the best he can in the in the position that he's been asked to play, uh, and and occasionally breaking up play and, and taking the ball forward. But it, it, they're just lacking a player in there who who can provide a little spark, who can do something different. Uh, and I think that that's, I think that's another area that really needs to be looked at. Um, we must mention Sorry, as well... Sorry, I was just going to say on the midfield, it was a little bit puzzling that there was one point, I think it was about 25 minutes ago, that how called Willock across from warming up to basically, he gestured as if to say, get your head in the game and gave him some instructions and told him to go back and warm up again. And he tends to do that if he's going to bring someone on. And then Willock just didn't appear. And the, and the midfield were, the midfield looked shattered at certain points and was certainly getting overrun later on. And and yet Willick didn't come on, and I found that a little bit strange. As to it seemed that I don't know what it was that made Howe change the decision. He seemed to have made the decision that Willick is going to be coming on here, and then obviously that didn't happen. And it was yeah, it was just a little mm. bit puzzling, and 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 just the way that the midfield was going. It, I think they could have done with it with a change coming in. Absolutely. Also, uh, it was nice to see Paul Dummett back in the Newcastle shirt, wasn't it, George? Yeah, really good, really good. He is one of those players that gets better the longer he's out of the team. I mean, I don't mean that. In, in other words, you you miss him when he's gone. He's you know he's always that six seven out of ten every week, reliable. You know, it's one of the re- it's one of the reasons Rafa Benitez referred to him as 
the, the most underrated player that he's that he's worked with, and he came in, and there was a there was a sense of solidity there. Um, you know, if Newcastle sign a left back this window, don't know if they will or not, but you know, perhaps you know, perhaps then there's an opportunity for him to move inside. He does give that he does give that sort of versati- versatility. But yeah, very good, very good to have Paul back. Nice to see him sliding, tackling wingers into the East Stand again. That's what we all want yeah. to see, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I felt for Dummett at the end as well, actually, because for someone who hadn't played in such a long period of time, and I know the goal comes comes down his side, but Sam Maximan gives him mm. no protection down that side to begin with, and he'd no. done very well to deal with that. And then late on, he looked physically shattered as well. It looked like, and understandably, he was stuck in that point, but I do think he gives more balance with Trippier being able to go forward down the right. So I think that I think that him being back and if they can keep him fit, he's also an option as, as a centre-back as well, if necessary. So I think that him being fit is, 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 is a real positive. Absolutely. And uh, of course, agent Musa Sissoko may have saved us from a defeat there as well with that absolutely awful miss when he was one-on-one with uh, with Dubravka after a, a, a misplaced pass, shall we call it, from Jamal Lascelles. Uh, and Sissoko picking up some booze as well, I noticed, uh, during the game, Chris. It's one of them. We don't we don't forget, do we? <laughs> no, no, he, did, he was... Uh... <laughs> It was interactly before the game, Adam Leventeller, who was obviously on last week, a Watford guy, were chatting, uh, a few of us chatting before the game, and I basically I just turned to him and I just said, has Sissoko scored for, for Watford yet? Because I just have a feeling he might he might score today, and he just turned around to me and he said, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> he, basically, he basically talked about him, he just gets the ball and tries to shoot from ridiculous distances, but I mean, he just, yeah, actually, because where you sit in the press box... You, you, you can see directly, and it was like almost my direct eye line seeing where Sissoko was. And even though he's showing go, you just ha- you could just see the way he was approaching it. He wasn't going to score, and he didn't look at any point confident in the way that he was hitting it. I can't remember seeing a player look more uncomfortable trying to shoot in my entire time <laughs> of watching Newcastle United than Musa Sissoko. It's just, even more so than Czech Tiote. I always thought Czech Tiote looked like he believed he was going to score, and Musa Sissoko doesn't whatsoever. So yeah, anyway, I'm just jealous of you that you could actually make out in. Individual players. I was in. I was in level seven. I've, I've not been up there. I've not been up there for a long time. It's taken you a week off my life. Just got back on this morning, didn't you? I know. It's ta- it's taken a week. I mean, it's some view. It's some view up there. But I yeah. could not make out individual players. I didn't have. I mean, it was. I was looking at vague positioning on the pitch to try and guess who they were. God Almighty! So you do a week's way worth of altitude training in the Himalayas just to get yourself ready oh, for it. Dear me, it was about ten degrees colder up there than it was at ground level. You do get a nice view of the Tynemouth coastline, though, don't you? Oh, gorgeous, yeah. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, George and Chris have teamed up this week to mark 100 days uh, since the takeover with a detailed assessment on progress on and off the pitch. So, how do we think the new regime are doing? George, at the minute, obviously because of the league position everything like that, we've got a small number of fans grumbling. Uh, But as we discussed last week, there is plenty of room for optimism, especially in the long term, isn't there? Yes, I think so. I mean, yes, there, you know, there were boos at the end of the game on Saturday, which is, you know, probably for the first time that they were sort of that that loud, albeit a minority. I think that was the, I think that was the occasion, and I think it was a response to the game as opposed to anything else. Funnily enough, I had a conversation with a friend who was collecting for the food bank outside beforehand, and he just and he's a fan of many decades older than me, and he he said, you know what, I don't actually care what happens today. And I said, you can't, you have to care. He said, well, you know, I care, but I'm just, I'm really not bothered. It's just, I feel so happy. I feel so happy about the club and what's happened, and you know, and more importantly, where it's going. And I said this after the cup game that, you know, that in spite of that being a really disappointing and sort of dismal, dismal performance and result, that I could sort of see beyond that. And I, I do still have that. It's difficult to keep that every week when the team aren't winning. And you know, I'd persuaded myself that uh, that Newcastle would beat Watford and and things like that. And I'm, I'm not usually optimistic, so um, it it was disappointing. I mean, I think I think there were lots of things to unpack. the The club is unrecognisable. You know, is in many ways it's absolutely unrecognisable. There is that sense going into games, as as we wrote about in this piece. You still have to pinch yourself a little bit that everybody there is wanting the same thing. That it's a United Football Club. Um, you, know, you know, there's no chance against the manager or the owner. It's War Flags looks amazing. The stadium looks incredible without Sports Direct signs. And it is a football club again. And I think they've got a lot of things right off the, you know, off the pitch in terms of tone and messages and, and things like that. And just to just to give some sort of background, we spoke to people at the very, very top at the club. We spoke to people inside the dressing room. We also spoke to people... Um, uh, who, who you know just who who work for the club and there is still this really positive feeling and that you know that certainly in, in the Mike Ashley years the feeling around the place was that nothing would ever change that nothing would ever get better everybody now knows that it's going to get better and it's just <laughs> the bit that matters it's not getting better at all I mean that's the kind of irony about it you know, and so we'll maybe come on to talk about that. But the overall mood is very positive. The people at the top of the club are incredibly enthusiastic. They know they've made mistakes along the way. You know, we can talk about the manager search. There's a, you know, recognition that in terms of, you know, perhaps the big appointments that they they could and should have gone uh, quicker. You know, they're all very, very determined not to get relegated. I mean, I'm sort of, I, I keep... You know, the league table sort of says it's not a lost cause. You know, I just don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to sort of gauge that anymore. But even if it costs a year in the championship, I know that's a big if because you know there are no guarantees. I still feel much more positive about the club's future than I did than I did pre takeover, and that mood is there. There's a mood of determination. One of the people we spoke to, I love this kind of phrase. It was, my God, we know that 
you know, we were always told that Newcastle was a sleeping giant. It's a sleeping monster. Somebody, one of the other people said, the, our fans are fucking magnificent. I can't wait to deliver for them. There's all this sort of stuff. And it's it's really encouraging. It just, at some point, it has to be reflected on the pitch, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris, and how are you feeling about the first 100 days of this new regime? It, it, it almost feels like uh, these new owners are learning on the job as they go. Obviously, they haven't owned a football club before, uh, but it's, you know, there is a lot of positivity, but it, it still does feel like they are learning week by week. Yeah, it does. And it almost feels like they've got a, they've got a sort of new car or a new sort of gadget and they don't quite know how to how to yeah. kick it in the gear yeah they, they know it's yeah. going to be great and, and, and you feel and everyone else does but actually just trying to work out how to fit all the parts together actually it's a, we've not it's found a, the, the fog lamps a, yet have we no exactly yeah, it's just, <laughs> at the minute it's a knackered old banger which is uh which is heading to the for the scrap heap but they need to try and get it and, and i do uh, yeah so in that sense i do think i am still if you'd have asked me when the takeover happened that would reach the 17th of January and there wouldn't yet be a director of football or CEO in place I would have been surprised and I would have I would have been surprised as well that that, that it took as long to dismiss Steve or move on Steve Bruce and then to bring in the manager subsequently afterwards but um, it seems or at least that the, the, the noises are that they've learned from those uh, decisions and that the, what they're trying to put in place are for the long term and, and as frustrating as it may be in the short term because of Newcastle's position then they they do they are looking at this as a long term project. It's not just to make sh- it's not just for the here and now. It's to how can we put Newcastle on the best uh, platform t- to to move forward. And even if you look at the January transfer window, if in October the conversations that George and I were having with people uh, very high up were that probably they'd they'd spend they'd maybe sign three or four players and not spend heck of a lot of money it looks like they're gonna to have to spend a lot more than they intend to do to begin with and that's because the position has become worse the situation has become worse on the pitch than i think that they even uh, thought that was going to happen so in that sense it hasn't been the ideal start but i do think that that sort of enduring optimism and positivity for the future is something which is 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 hard to quantify but is very very important and i do still think that that, that more changes will come and, and that, that therefore that will be maintained going forward as well one of the big decisions obviously that the new owners had to make was was replacing steve bruce and, and eddie howe was the man tasked with that job uh, a question from thomas o on the real-time part of the athletic app uh he said i'm all for eddie howe and giving him time i also think that if we go down he'll be a great manager to help us bounce back up but the performance on saturday especially in the second half just was not good enough uh when can we start to judge the howe regime for these results george what do we think yeah it's a great question from thomas thank you very much uh for for that and for listening um it's a tough one. I mean, I you know I don't have a re- relationship with Eddie Howe, but I like the cut of his jib. Let me put it that way. Mm, and yeah. I've been very impressed with the way he's gone about his business. For this piece, we uh, spoke to people who you know who are in and around the training ground. How things have sharpened up. Um, he's made an impact. Talking again to the people at the top of the club, they're really impressed with what he's done. He's thrown himself into this. You know, the hard work that he's doing. It's like all day, all night, all those kind of things. And um, I've been impressed with the way he speaks and talks and and all that. And there's been really good feedback from players. So all of that stuff is encouraging. We talk in this piece about some of the little details on the training ground. So please check that out. But we have to, you know, and I'm supportive of him as well. And I want him to be a great success. We also, though, have to recognise at this point 
that there's been no bounce. You know, there was no bounce when Steve Bruce left. There was no bounce when Eddie Howe came in. And it's difficult on the pitch. I mean, the Man United game aside, perhaps, and definitely, you know, beating Burnley, that was obviously good. It's very difficult to sort of discern much difference. And certainly there isn't, you know, in terms of points, there isn't a difference. And the thing, I suppose, that concerns me, and I don't mean concern... And what I mean by this is that um, it it concerns me about the sort of immediate future, is that, you know, the players who are being told to do stuff on the training ground at the moment, you know, that's fine. And... Yes, they're feeling the benefit, and yes, there's a you know, yes, they take encouragement for that. At some point, though, they have to be able to look at what they're doing and feel that there's a point to it. And the only point at the end of that is results. So what I mean by that is, okay, you've left me out this week, but the team have won, so I can. So what do I have to do to get in the team? I have to fucking work my nut, my my nuts off, and I have to get back in there. And that's the only way that I can do that. Now, at the moment, if you're being left out and the team are losing or not winning then it's very difficult for you to buy into that as a player. Same thing, though, for the players who are playing. Okay, you've asked me to play in that position. You've asked me to do this. You've asked me to do that. Well, we're still pretty shit. Now, obviously, players have to take responsibility too. I'm not saying that. But a coach or a manager needs, you know, there has to be a buy-in. Okay, I see what you're doing because we're getting results, you know, and that isn't happening. And that is my concern. So when Thomas says, I think he'll be a great manager to help us bounce back up theoretically i don't have a problem with that concept but it's a very very long way from here to may isn't it absolutely you know and from here to may and newcastle not winning it becomes you know teams that last time newcastle went down it was with momentum because of rafa being there and then rafa staying will there be momentum you know if that was the case i'm not so sure so you know, for his sake, he's got to start getting wins. It's easier said than done, but we're just not seeing we're not seeing the merits of Eddie Howe on the pitch at all, and that is my that is my worry. Chris, some of the some of the criticism that has been levelled at the owners, not necessarily particularly from fans, but from from other people outside of the the Newcastle United sphere, shall we call it? Uh, the evidence sort of suggesting that the owners are maybe too slow reacting in the fast moving world of football. What would you what would you think about that? I think that it's fair to have raised that point in terms of what happened when they first came in. And I mean, they would they would argue back that uh, they didn't expect the takeover to happen when it did. And, and if they'd, they'd taken over uh, sort of 12, 18 months previously, they had a full plan in place and things probably would have happened a lot more quickly or they would have had time at least to do that because they wouldn't be in a relegation battle. But the fact that Newcastle have been in such dire straits on the pitch has sort of raised the, the tension so much and made it more important to make decisions quickly and obviously there was the situation with the head coach and then trying to bring in Unai Emery and that didn't that didn't quite work out and 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 you could argue well Eddie Howe they could have signed him up a month previously because he was out of work but equally they went through a detailed process to try and decide who they wanted at that stage now the messages that that George and I were getting come back are that that this idea that everything is going to be snared up with PIF that there, there was maybe that issue sort of early on but that those kinks are hopefully starting to be ironed out that that, that, it, that it is becoming a bit more streamlined and that if certainly if and when a CEO and a director of football are in place then hopefully that will only improve further and I also think if you look at the Chris Wood situation that was actually carried out very very quickly Newcastle was swift in terms of acting reacting to that it was it was basically they were almost that they'd considered Chris Wood but were almost forced into acting once they realised after the Cambridge game that they simply had to sign a centre forward and they had to sign one now and that's what they went and they went and did the deal and albeit 
I saw some criticism over the weekend saying, yeah, but all he had to do was was actually uh, activate a release clause. That's not that's not putting together a deal. But they still went and did the deal and they still brought them to the club. So hopefully in that sense, they are learning, but they, they are novices in, in many ways in, in, in this industry. And so it will, take, mm, absolutely. it will unfortunately take them time. And given that they haven't got that put that executive structure in place, they are sort of swimming against the tide in many ways. Two players in by this time in January is is pretty decent going. I mean, I know that we would like it to be more, and you know, possibly it should, one of them should have been a centre half. But having said that, you know that that was my real concern. The, the kind of great phrase that somebody used with me was that the thing with PIF is that they don't just want to select people; they want to they need to select the people who are doing the selecting. So I think <laughs> yeah. when you look at the manager or look at the CEO, look at the director of football, that's part of what you know. That's been part of that sort of thing. So it has been painstaking. My fear was that you cannot be like that when you get to January. You just can't. You've got to move quickly. So to get two players in, Kieran Trippier for a really good fee, really good player, kind of marquee signing in. In, in lots of ways and then also Chris Wood at this point that's allayed a lot of my you know a lot of my my concerns and again yes the people at the top of the club are sort of saying this is getting better we're understanding the way to work you know a way of working together they also know the people at the club now better and they're comfortable with that so that helps decisions to be taken more quickly yeah absolutely and, and while we are on the uh, the subject of positives as well the communication from these owners compared to what we've had to deal with in the past. I mean, the the level of communication has been a, an unmitigated success, hasn't it, Chris? It's just a, it's like night and day now dealing with the club. Yeah, I mean, we're still waiting for the follow up to Lee Charney's program notes, aren't we? From uh, August twenty nineteen. <laughs> um, but oh, no, you it, sarcastic it, bastard! It's quite it, good it, for it, you, it, that Chris. It it it. it, it, it it has been an unmitigated success. I mean, even just it, it was such a simple thing, but to just to put out a New Year's message to supporters. I mean, why was yeah. that? A, why was that a big thing? And yet, it was a big thing to have a Christmas New Year's message. It was because of because of how starved that has been, and so hopefully that continues. And there is that positivity with them, as as I've said previously. I do think that. Uh, words in that sense it was an e- quote unquote easy win for them and they, they have to continue doing it and I, I, all of the information all the suggestions are that they are going to continue and try and be open with supporters and communicate with them going forward but it's also a case of eventually words will not be enough it, it is about actions and, and they seem to be acting in the transfer market and now it's about putting in place all of these things that they are saying they're going to do and that George and I have, have mentioned in the piece the refurbishment of the of the training ground which is said to be coming this summer then in three to four years a, a new training ground uh, in theory all these sorts of changes it's, it's all easy to say these things and what I'm pleased is that they are putting all about. I've seen a lot of people on social media going, oh, three or four years for a training ground. They just need to get it done. But it's actually, they want to have the right training ground. They want to have it in the right it's place. It's got to be done properly. Yeah. It's got to be done properly. And so the communication has been excellent so far. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've probably got to buy land. They've got to get planning permission. They've got to get the architects in. They've got to do all that properly. These things take Takes a, time. a lot of the time. I mean, the, the the way it's been put to us is that, you know, it's it's the low-hanging fruit is what they're doing at the minute. The point is they've taken over mid-season. So, you know, they can't just go into the training ground and, and do the complete refurb of the current facilities now because the players are there. So they've done little bits and bobs when players have been away for, for games and stuff like that. And you know, there's there's good ice baths now. We all remember those funny internet memes the of Newcastle bins. players training in wheelie bins, and they've got ice baths now. You know, the food's better. 
things like that. You know, we've seen stuff at the stadium, like the windows being cleaned, little sort of morale boosting things that they can do. And of course, one of the nine things bar as about, well. Yeah, Alan from work is going to get his own potentially is going to get his own bar back again, which is really nice. No, it's not potentially. That's happening. That'll happen very soon. Oh, and good. yeah, that's that's going to happen very soon. And then they've started talking and and acting on moving his statue back into stadium and ground. Hopefully one day quite soon that'll be next to Bobby somewhere there are complications because it's not on club land at the minute it was I think it was funded by the Shepherd family so you know there have to be discussions about what happens with that but nine bar very soon and then the statue quote quote unquote back where it, you know not back where it belongs but where it belongs and so those things are really important the talking to former players bringing them to games like Warren our 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 mate Warren who came on the podcast and just you know that stuff has been has been really good and i go back to i go back to takeover night and amanda staverley looking down the barrel of a camera and talking directly to newcastle supporters was so startling you know was so startling and they've kept that they've kept that stuff going and it's you know it's really and, and they will keep it going you know i think i think once the transfer window's out of the way they're going to redouble on 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 communication and, and communicating with fans groups and you know particularly uh you know particularly the trust and things like that and i think you know that's something to to relish and look forward to as well i am looking forward to sending a text before the game saying where are we meeting up for a pre-game pint let's all meet in the allen from work yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh chris is uh Peter Kenyon's another name that's been linked with a potential CEO or executive position with the club. What's what's the latest on all that? Well, the sort of inquiries that we we've made suggest that it's unlikely to to be Peter Kenyon who is going to be CEO or whatever position Newcastle bring in. But they are making progress, in, and that regard has been handled by uh, third party firms we've talked about before, both CEO and director of football. We think director of football will probably come first. Uh, in the coming weeks and then not shortly afterwards CEO so hopefully those executive positions you've got to remember the executive structure pre the takeover was Lee Charnley and subsequently it is the the board at the moment is Amanda Staveley uh, Jamie Rubin and Yasser Ramain who's the uh, who's basically the, the chairman but isn't isn't there on a day-to-day basis the club on a day-to-day basis is primarily being run by Amanda Staveley and then so they they need those people in position, but the the hope is, or the suggestion is, that that should be in the next few weeks. And Georgia, any information about other parts of the club, the women's team, for example? There's there's been a bit of a statement of intent for that as well, hasn't there? Yes, Amanda Staveley went to kind of visit the foundation and and uh, and members of the of the women's team uh, very recently. They're very very excited about that. They're very excited about the impact um, they can have there, and you know, they, I think they want to have a bit of an internal challenge. Which team might be the first to actually win something for Newcastle? That's not not a bad little thing. And yeah, they have they have some really big and exciting things coming down the line with the women's team. So um, that's something that we want to um, follow up follow up quite soon. Right, we'll be back in just a second to talk about Leeds away coming up this Saturday. But you can stay bang up to date on the Premier League comings and goings with the Athletics Transfer Daily. The Athletic Football Podcast brings listeners a 10-minute daily show of exclusive news and transfer updates throughout January from the very best newsroom in the business. It's exclusive to Apple Plus users, and you can sign up now for free with a seven-day trial. Subscribers to The Athletic will also be able to get access to the podcast via the app, and that's 33% off at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right then, Chops. Uh, a big game, another big game. Every game seems like a big game at the minute, doesn't it? Uh, Leeds United, uh, 3 o'clock on Saturday, the 22nd of January. Um, we need a win, don't we, Chris? That's the top and bottom of it. We bloody just need a bloody win. Yeah, well, just to piss on everyone's chips, though, I am actually going to the Elland Road, so that means Newcastle United will not win if my recent record is anything to go by. So I apologise in advance to everyone for that. I'm very happy. I'm very, very happy. I mean, I realise I say that as if anyone else who's been going to the games all season has got any much more of a, of a winning record than than I do, given they've only won one match. But yeah, I mean, that's it. It is. It is. I thought that they had to win on Saturday, and I still th- I think Saturday was extremely damaging against Watford. And I do think if they don't win this Saturday, then I re- I really don't see I don't see where they where they go from there because it increasingly because Leeds won at the weekend and looked impressive in doing so. West Ham they they are almost pulling away. From the drop, but the only team you can see at the minute getting dragged into the, the four at the bottom are Everton, and Everton are trying to make a change <laughs> yeah. by bringing in a manager, and so it looks increasingly like it's going to be three from four, just as it was in 2015-16. Newcastle have played all of the bottom five at home already and only beaten Burnley, so they don't have any of those games left to play. They go to Leeds, and uh, I, I, they certainly can't lose on Saturday, but at some point we can't just they can't just keep going into games and, and, and drawing matches. They have to win enough games. Fulham did this last season where they just drew too many games. You have to at some point win, and I think because of the gap after Leeds, that's a, there's going to be like a two and a half week gap psychologically. Newcastle needs to take something in, and that rather than just transfers, I, I'm already hearing. Sort of from agents and the like that 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 Watford the draw was maybe a little bit damaging for players who who might have been tempted to come to Newcastle. Basically said to them at the start of the window, "Look, come back to us in a few weeks and we'll see where you are position wise." And if if they'd lifted themselves out of the relegation zone, if they'd given themselves a bit of positive momentum at that stage, then that may have helped in the transfer market as well. So in that sense. I just think, yeah, it, 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 every week we're saying it's absolutely massive, but I, I, I struggle to see if they don't win this weekend where those wins are going to come from to be able to survive. Just following on from that, Chris, we had a question from Nath Day as well who said, are we any closer to bringing Diego Carlos in and do you think we'll have anyone in before the Leeds game? Well, inevitably, we're recording this podcast on a day when nothing has yet happened. We're five past five. So it's coming tomorrow. That's what so you're saying. So certainly, or, or it probably is going to come as soon as we <laughs> stop recording this. But there, there is an increasing confidence. Uh, we've spoken to various different people. Increasing confidence that they can do a deal for Diego Carlos. Um, the information that we were getting last night was that the next sort of twenty four hours are going to be they, the club hoped were going to be very busy for them in terms of negotiating uh, potential deals. The two 
I think are in the pipeline. I don't know the identity of the second one. I don't even know the position of the second one necessarily. But Diego Carlos certainly is 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 the primary target at the moment at Sevilla. I think it's going to cost a, a lot of money, but it looks like Newcastle are going to try and do that. He, it seems, is keen to come because he's gonna he's gonna he's twenty eight and it seems like he's going to have a life changing contract uh, presented to him at Newcastle and he will be turning he will be leaving Sevilla who are challenging for the for the Spanish title and they are they are very reluctant. To let him go, but I think Newcastle have just been so persistent, and and eventually it seems, hopefully, they're gonna, from their point of view, they're gonna wear them down enough to be able to get Carlos in, and they're hopeful they can get him in before this weekend at Leeds, and they will finally have the centre back, which has been the primary target ever since Eddie Howe arrived as head coach, and they haven't been able to sign. Actually, it's been they haven't signed a centre back since 2018. The last centre back signed was Federico Fernandez on deadline day in 2018. Despite Steve Bruce spending almost his whole tenure trying to sign one, he was unable to do so. And so finally, finally, the hope is they might be able to do that this week. Can can I just make a very quick point about the the Botman situation as well? There has been this criticism of why were Newcastle kind of wasting their time of a, uh, chasing a player who was never going to come during this window? And there there is a a feeling at the top of the club that isn't certainly wasn't the case that the player was was actually very very keen to come, and that the sort of early negotiations you know, with the club was that they were receptive to it too. But in actual fact, it was Lille's position that, that changed and that their position in the league meant that they, they were no longer receptive to, to to letting him go. And so Newcastle have had to move on. So, And that is one of the problems with this month. You can do your homework as much as you want. You think you can get good feedback from both players and clubs. And then as, as days go on, situations change. Another thing that they've had to contend with, I'm told, they've they've gone to clubs... In this country, and those clubs certainly at the moment are reluctant to to lose players because of COVID, and suddenly you know Mm. being without players for COVID, so they you know so that is something else. It's been a tough thing, but I just wanted to make that point about Botman because that was sort of how I looked at it as well. Why you know why are they spending all this time going after him? Well, that was the reason. So at the moment, no Botman, but Chris, what about Robin? Lock it up, good and tight, guard. The Joker's on the loose again. Come on now. I am. We're going my there. resignation We're going this there again. is now in my email inbox. I'm going to, I'm going to send going this there again. every week. Now. He's doing the same joke every week. Chris, come on. Imagine my delight when I saw this week that there was a claim that Newcastle had agreed terms with German left-back Robin Gosens. Uh, come on then, Chris. You're the boy wonder. You tell us what the latest is with this. Uh, there has been some cold water poured on this, but uh, what's happening with Robin Gosens? Well, he is a name who's been mentioned, but I mean, A, he's injured. B, he's a, he's a wing back, and Newcastle. I'm not, it's not a priority position for Newcastle, so I'm not. I'm not completely ruling this one out, is it? But it's it's not a priority position right at this moment in time. I don't think it is one of those deals that is necessarily close. Though that is not the information that we're getting. James Horncastle, uh, our Italian football writer, has also checked it out his end, and he's getting the same sort of. Uh, information back and so I don't think that that one is an imminent sort of sign and so please 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 stop making that joke that's a shame isn't it that's such a shame Chris I mean can you imagine can you imagine <laughs> can almost feel the dread coming through the internet connection as I'm saying that you're anyway the jo- you're the joker Tyler Christ uh George what 
obviously Rafa Benitez left his position at, uh, at Everton Football Club this week. We would imagine now, after all the chat in the last few months, that this might have a knock-on effect to the potential of Sean Longstaff leaving and joining him at Everton. Is that is that what we think is going to be the case now? Uh, yes, I mean, I would have, I would certainly have thought so. I mean, on on Longstaff, I mean, I think there's you know dilemma there about whether to stay and fight for his place. I think that's what he would be minded to do because Newcastle's his team, and um, you know the club have talked about talking about contracts but once January's January's out of the way I mean I, don't, I can't imagine that Everton will be a realistic prospect now that Rafa's gone I spoke to Rafa this morning by the way and um, obviously obviously very disappointing it sounds um, you know it sounds like Everton's been every bit as dysfunctional as um, as Newcastle was under 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 Mike Ashley and of course he asked about Newcastle because he always does when we um, when we uh, when we chat but um yeah, a tough gig, a tough gig for Rafa there. I think um, you know one thing you can say about him is he never gives himself, he never gives gives himself an easy life, and uh, you know all the people who said said at the time, who said at the time that that was not a not a good decision on either side. I think it's difficult to argue it's difficult to argue against that now. It was a, it was a, a tricky one that one for him, wasn't it? I always felt like it was a no win situation for him at Everton because he was always just going to be Rafa Benitez, the former Liverpool manager. Uh, and it was it was so tough for him to go into that job and, and try and turn it around. And Everton as well, like you say, they've thrown good money after bad money for for, for years and years now trying uh, trying to sort that squad out, and they still haven't managed to find the the, the correct ingredients. Uh, so. Uh, yes, that'll do for uh, for all of that. We still are without uh, a new centre-half and we're hoping that won't be the case soon, according to Chris. And that is indeed the real quiz. Uh, however, just before we finish, John C has asked, do Newcastle believe they can transform their season with predominantly defensive signings as has been briefed? Given that we need wins, uh, I'm surprised strengthening the attack seems to be such a low priority. Seem to be plenty of attacking options available in the loan markets. Chris, this is an interesting one isn't it obviously Chris Woods came in um, and you would you would hope that he would be able to hit the ground running and get a few goals but the getting the ball to him seems to be an issue as well yeah I mean Newcastle are prioritizing at this very moment in time to to bring in centre-backs because that has been the key for a long period and if Newcastle keep conceding goals they're going to be relegated if they keep conceding more than one goal a game they will go down because they do they, partly because of of what John said because they they don't score enough but also teams who don't keep clean sheets don't stay in the premier league so that they have issue, the issue is that the, the problem is they have issues all over the pitch and Eddie Howe himself even said look we're open to to potentially signing players for any position and he's, he's quite clear about that and i do think if 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 the if an appropriate goalkeeper came up and Newcastle could do the deal they would consider doing that so they do want an attacking midfielder as well. They do potentially want another forward, another forward before the end of the window. In terms of when John mentions the loans market, the loan market is one that Newcastle have identified, but that they realise is is really going to spring into life in the last week of the window. Clubs will try and up, particularly players that they're looking to offload. They will try and offload them permanently to begin with, or for a higher loan fee, or with a higher percentage of their of their wages to begin with. Also, as George mentioned earlier in the podcast. COVID is proving to be an issue for clubs who don't want to let players go too early where they're having COVID outbreaks. Newcastle are the same. Elliot Anderson has, as I wrote, as I wrote last week, has a deal agreed to go to Luton Town, but Newcastle haven't let him go yet because they haven't got enough players fit 
at the moment or available because of COVID. So that is delaying that as well. But offensive signings, they do also want as well. Todd Cantwell of Norwich City is someone who they like and it's sort of a, a creative midfielder. He's one of the many names who's been mentioned. And so I do think that in an ideal world, they will bring players in before the end of the month. The issue with that they also have is that they already have now 27 senior players in their squad, haven't signed two more. You can only register 25 by the end of the month, so they they need to move players on to sign some, or they're going to have to leave them out of their squad, and that's going to be expensive as well. So it's a, it's a very complicated window, and Newcastle are trying to do a lot of business in a window that is not advisable to do a lot of business in, as Amanda Stavely herself referenced in an interview in November. So, yes, John, ideally they will make offensive signings, but also they just have to they have to strengthen so many areas of the team that it, it it's basically plugging gaps where they can. Right then, just enough time to round up a couple of things and let you know what's going on in the next few weeks. Um, No games to preview in the next two shows, but we do have some fun stuff lined up and in the pipeline. Uh, Can't say any more at this exact moment, so let's not make a song and chicken dance of it. Uh, Here's something we can say, though. We've had a couple of questions from the real-time feed uh, this week, but we will go full mailbag next week. Uh, and we're all looking forward to that. So get your requests, queries, comments, complaints, and general uh, wonderingments uh, to us. Uh, and keep an eye out for a post in the real-time section and maybe a tweet as well on the old Twitter. Thanks very much, George and Chris, for your time. I know you two chaps are very, very busy at the moment. So thanks for coming on and, and talking to us. Uh, I hope you're all well. And we shall speak to you all very soon. That's it for today. We're going to be back next week. From everybody at Pot on the Tyne, a hearty cheerio. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.